is Strictly John Keith. Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome to another edition of Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Now today we're going to talk about a king. A king assured of an enduring place in the history and heritage of Merseyside football. Johnny King of Tranmere Rovers. His achievements for the Birkenhead Club and his enduring place in the heart of the supporters will soon have permanent recognition when his statue, sculpted by that master craftsman Tom Murphy, will be unveiled. And I'm delighted to say that joining me in the studio are two men who know Johnny very well. His former player, Sean Garnett, now Tranmere's head of youth, and a long-time journalistic friend and colleague of mine, Nick Hilton, who chronicles all things Tranmere for the Liverpool Echo. Gents, welcome both to the top of the city tower. I suppose the first thing to say, Nick, is that nobody deserves a statue more than Johnny, really. Certainly not in Tranmere terms, no. He's been uh, the most successful and the best-loved manager that Tranmere have ever had. Uh, I would imagine best-loved by his players, but also by the supporters, because not only did he bring them success on the field he he did it by developing a, a team that played delightful football football that was wonderful to watch excited people yes and also took them to the very brink of the premier league which when you think about it now is, is almost almost unbelievable it's an astonishing achievement mm. uh, to to have taken a side that was near the foot of the old fourth division in 1987 and uh, and taking it to be hammering on the door of the uh, premier league for for 3 years in the mid 90s yeah. astonishing achievement yeah um, done, it has to be said, uh, with, with some help from the chairman, Peter Johnson, who was able to, to bankroll uh, the whole project. So John was able to go and get better players. Sure. Yeah, yes, exactly. And Sean, you made uh, almost 150 Tranmere appearances as a defender during Johnny's second spell, as Nick says, between 1987 and 1996. He must have been great to play for. He was. He was hard work at times, especially when he left me out. But um, yes. he was a large-in-life character. Um, he was very, very good in terms of man management. Um, he let the players run the dressing room as long as things, results were going. Um, and looking back now, he was light years ahead in terms of rotation and and, and getting the best out of players. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great experience for me. And it's not until I sort of left Tramie that I realised, well, and gone that the gaffer wasn't as bad as I thought he was here. So... You talk about rotation. Was that difficult then for the players to understand? It was because, you know, it was horses for courses uh, with the gaffer and, and, and it, he wouldn't be bothered in making the change had we won a game the following game. If we're up against someone um, who he thought there was a better player capable of handling, then he would make the changes. Yeah. But that was unheard of then. Yes. It was just, you know, you, you, your strongest 11 played week in, week out. And, yeah. and that's how... That was the accepted... That was uh, the accepted... Norm, wasn't it? You know, yeah. Ferguson in, in later years done it and, and nothing was said and he was a genius yeah. for doing it. I think people have put it. I think people have ascribed it to Rude Hollett when he was at Chelsea to start it. I yeah. don't know whether that's right or not, but yeah, it's amazing. Now, of course, next month, as we record this show, a gala dinner's being held in Johnny's honour, and it's being organised jointly by the club's Supporters Trust and the former Players Foundation. It's at Port Sunlight's Hume Hall on Thursday, April the tenth, when I think the biggest assembly of former Tranmere players since their playing days will be present to salute Johnny. 
the function also contributing to the cost of commissioning the statue. And I gather also that Johnny himself will be making an appearance at the start of the dinner, which is great. Now, there's been an amazing response, um, and Steve Roper, the chairman of the former Players Foundation, he tells me that a few more places... They're hoping to be made available, so tickets can be purchased at £35 by going to www.tranmerovestrust.co.uk or by emailing steveroper40 at steveroper40 at meme.com. Now, Sean, anyone who played for Johnny, even people who didn't play for him, just saw him on a regular basis, will have a fund of stories and anecdotes. You must be teeming with them. Just tell us one or two. I mean, what one once was sort of personal to me was um, I was 19, just broke into the team, um, and, and I thought I was doing okay, and I, and I got a bit of interest from, from Notts Forest, and this was Brian Clough at the time. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, they'd bid 150000 which was a lot of money then. I'm thinking, right, speaking to me dad, it looks as if I'm going to go to Forest, dad. You know, and it was a great move for me. Mm. Uh, looking back, it probably wasn't the right move, but at that time, you, yeah. you're young and you want to sort of further your career. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, the gaffer pulls me in, and at Valley Road, there was a long corridor walking down to his office. So walking down to the office, I'm I'm on my way here. I want to go. Um, I'm ready to go and play under Brian Croft. Everyone knew of him. Very similar to probably to the gaffer in the way he was. Yeah. Knock on his door. Um, sits me down, asks me, do I know of the interest? I said, yes, I do. He says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I think it'll be good, Gaffer, if I go. He then says, no. And, and he actually stops me, tells me to look out the window. I can always remember it. And it would have been about February. The da daffodils are just starting to grow. And he says to me, look at them daffodils. He said, if you go now, it'll be like snapping those daffodils and you're not going to flourish into the player that I can make you. Wow. So, Unbelievable! I come out of that office not wanting to go to Notts Forest. It, it was unbelievable the way he done That's it. But he sat me down there and explained to me that if I was going to leave Tramia, it'd be like snapping that daffodil in half now, and I wouldn't be able to flourish into the into the player that they could make me. Yeah. But it, it was just the way he was. That was the the yeah. stories you'd come he out. He had with. a wonderful ability to use colourful language, Nick, mm. didn't he? To describe things. He was quite unlike anyone else, I think, in the game in in, in the way he used language. Yeah. Um, and. It, it endeared him uh, to, I think, I think it certainly endeared him to the players and endeared him to the supporters. Mm. Uh, it made him, it was his signature, it made him unique. Mm. And, and of course, he was, he was loved by old press men. Because, well, I was just going to say, he's a dream for the media, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, because he gave you the most colourful quotes imaginable. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he was very fond of, um, of Hollywood and, and, and big epics. <laughs> yes. And um, there was one particular instance after he'd signed John Aldridge, and John Aldridge was was scoring goals, and he played one game with a slight injury, uh, and he'd still helped Tranmere win the game. And and Johnny afterwards, uh, surrounded by the assembled pressman at Watford, so there's quite a few Londoners there, yeah. uh, was asked about Aldridge's performance uh, and the fact that he had an injury and, yeah. and, and played so well. And John said, "Well, um, I always think of him." As L. Sid. <laughs> he said, even if he was dead, we could strap him to a trolley, roll him to the far post, and he would nod them in. <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever come out with that? Only and, Johnny. And there was... Oh. Uh, the, the jaws just dropped on <laughs> half, a dozen, story. half a dozen reporters from, uh, from the London papers who'd yeah. never heard anything like it. Oh, dear. And one of them just turned around to me and said, 
Far out. <laughs> well, he was far out. I just wondered, gents, to both of you, how much influence did Shankly have on him? Because he, he loved Bill... He idolised Bill Shankly, didn't he? Who, again, was a master of the words, wasn't he? He was a huge influence, um, partly because shortly after John started his first spell as, uh, as manager at Tramir in the 70s, um, he'd struck up a relationship with Bill Shankly at that time, uh, who had come out to help Tramir in the early 70s when Ron Yeats was manager. Indeed, Johnny yeah. King succeeded uh, Ron Yeats mm. and um, asked Bill to come over and, um, you know, to help him in some ways. And the influence was very strong. Yeah. Uh, if you ever went into Johnny King's office at Valley Road, uh, training ground, uh, behind Johnny was a huge picture did, yes, of, uh, of Shankly. And, I mean, it some was a people, montage, you know, yes, it in was. several poses, yes, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and sometimes he, he almost lapsed into sort of a Shankly voice as well. Um, yes, um, yes. But I think that there was also a great deal of respect the other way because uh, at one stage, uh, during the mid-70s, uh, Johnny King was doing very well at Tramier, got them promoted in his first season, uh, and Sheffield Wednesday were looking for a new manager. And they, they asked Bill Shankly, who's the best young manager in football at the moment and Shank said Johnny King Wow! Yeah. and they, they asked Johnny to come over and be interviewed for the job uh, which he was and he came back to Prenton Park and he had to think about it and he told them no thanks and he explained to them he said I've looked at the setup at Sheffield Wednesday it's marvellous I've looked at the players there's some very very good players there uh, but I've looked at what I've got here and I've got, it's back to the daffodils again, I've got plants growing. I've got something building here. And I think that what's building here yes. could be better than what will be at Sheffield Wednesday. So I want to stay here and right. build here at Tranmere. A great decision for Tranmere, that, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about London uh, journalists, but of course, while a lot of people aren't uh, aware of, he was born in London, Johnny King. In Marylebone, near Lord's Cricket Ground, I believe, mm. Sean. Yeah, I, I only know as such. I don't know a great deal of, of where he, of his background as such, but yeah. um, it, it comes to light later on in, in, in terms of his managing career because we had a lot of, you know, Liverpool, Merseyside lads playing for Indeed, us. Indeed, yeah. Um, and as you can, you know, as you can imagine, Iggy wouldn't keep that a secret. And there was just bit of, you know, he's from the south and not the north, and and oh, right. there's a little bit of a banter, would say, over it yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but I think he was an adopted. He, he, he spent that much time up here. Yeah, well, I gather what happened. His father was a quite a talented amateur footballer and cricketer. Had trials for Kent for cricket, apparently. But they escaped London. Well, they left London to escape the Blitz. And it always seemed a bit strange going from London to Liverpool, which was blitzed itself. <laughs> but they went to Halewood from London. Mm. And, of course, he grew up here and he um, graduated to play for Everton. Mm. Became a oh, quite a successful wing half with Everton. Mm. Um, but we, we talked about Johnny and his wonderful stories. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to hear him now in his nautical. F I mean, <laughs> Nick was talking about the great epics, but he also loved to talk about ships and the sea. And we've got one here about what he'd do with his crew on board a ship, which is great. If I was at sea, uh, there'd be plenty of rations of rum. You know, we're a happy ship. Uh, there's no doubt about it. We might have the skull and uh, crossbones flying up above, but they, 
they've plundered well today you know they've gone in and they've uh, they've they've worked hard and at the end of the day the cutlasses were really going in their midfield i was pleased with uh, with all the players well that was uh, that was after a win in the uh, 94-95 season towards the end of that season i mean that is just wonderful stuff isn't it and and it all corresponds he's got, it correlates well he's got the right uh, names there's 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 no interlopers there is there nick oh no no uh I'm sure in, in, a, in a different life he could have been a he could have been a very good sports reporter. He'd be far more colourful than some of us. He was brilliant, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah. he was. Yeah, absolutely. Was. Now I, I mentioned earlier, Nick, that uh, the statue uh, is nearing completion, done by Tom Murphy, and I've seen pictures of it, and I know you have. Um, and it's a wonderful pose because it, it's got him. Um, it's in typical pose, both hands stretching skywards, aren't they? And it looks so brilliant. It looks it. It is Johnny King, isn't it? It is. It is Johnny King. It was interesting talking to uh, to Tom Murphy, and he said that he felt the pose which he'd selected from various photographs that he'd looked at, um, sort of reflected that Johnny's Johnny's philosophy of I'm going to be the best I can be. That's what he's saying. Be the mm. best you can be. Yes. In that pose. Yes. And uh, I think it works very well. I think it remind people of the days at Wembley when. When Tramir had some some, some great triumphs down yeah. there, I mean Tramir and Wembley never went together, did they? You yeah. wouldn't use them in the same sentence, and yet he took Tramir there so many times, didn't he? Five times in yeah, yeah we, we include an American Town and yeah. two playoffs and and uh, two Leyland Half. So yeah, um, fan, fantastic time and 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 the sort of statue. I agree, Nick. It sort of sums up what John King's about. Um, you know, going back to the. The, the the piece we heard then happy ship it was about John King it was about um, Tramia Rovers it yeah. was about the players and, and it had to be a happy ship because the yeah. ship wouldn't float and and that was the way he'd look at it the ship yeah. had to float and and you, and you can't take you know if you're going to take people to sea with you they're on the boat for the journey you know and, and that's and he had a lot of the players who um, he, he stuck with not many players left Tramia and went on to better themselves because because yeah. because the gaffer had the way of getting the best out of people yeah exactly. um, and on this, you had to be on this journey. You had to be the right character yeah. to be able to hit the rough season. He would say because it's rubbed not, off on you. It has, it has, <laughs> well, I, I, I'm used to saying it all now. Yeah, I don't, I I'm relaying it back to the young kids. It's yes. now, and they look at me quite no, strange no, when no, I tell them crazy. about it's seagulls lovely. and things. So like they that. are. There's a legacy he's left already. Mm, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, this statue stands, I gather, around about ten feet tall. But Johnny will always walk tall. Uh, for Tranmere fans and for football fans in general. I'm talking to Sean Garnett and Nick Hilton about Johnny King. We'll be talking more to them both after this break and hearing more wonderful Johnny King clips. Don't go away. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. We're talking today about the great Johnny King of Tranmere in the studio, Sean Garnett and Nick Hilton. And and here's a little example of what Johnny King would do in interviews. He would even sing for you. It's like the ten green bottles when you were a kid, you know. Ten green bottles hanging on the wall. Ten green bottles hanging on the wall. And if one green bottle should accidentally fall, there'll be nine green bottles hanging on the wall. And then one green bottle hanging on the wall. One green bottle hanging on the wall. And if that green bottle should accidentally fall, we'll be in the Premier League 
after all. Well, that was Johnny in uh, March 1995 after beating Luton when Tranmere were within sight of the Premier League. Now, the man who conducted that interview, uh, and you'll learn more about that in a minute, was Steve Bauer, then uh, a Radio City reporter, now, of course, Match of the Day commentator, among other things. And I'm delighted to say Steve's on the line. Welcome, Steve. Hi, John. That's a fabulous, fabulous clip, isn't it? I don't think I've ever had that with anybody else <laughs> since in my broadcasting career. No, it was just one of those days where, um, obviously, Johnny was very good to us all, and you'd go in and have a cup of tea and a piece of toast with him, and you'd generally chat for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes before you did an interview. And, and, and that day, they had um, they had 10 games to go, obviously, as you say, and they were top of the championship. And he started you know, using the analogy um, in conversation about... You know, it's like the song of the Ten Green Bottles. Yeah. And when, we, when we pressed play and record and he started singing it, I, I nearly dropped the microphone. It was um, it was brilliant. That, just, just, that, that 30 seconds you just heard there, I think, just summed the man up. Yeah, exactly. Well, Nick Hilton of the Liverpool Echoes here, and he was there when you did it. Nick, you've got a specific memory of that day. I, I think Johnny had, had done it spontaneously in the, in, when we were just chatting to him, and Steve had said, perhaps, he, perhaps he'd do that perhaps he'd do that for us on the microphone. Yeah. And and surprisingly, most managers would say, no, no, I'm on. But Johnny was right up for it straight away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's what he was like. He did actually love the media, Steve, didn't he? He did. He was, he was, a, he was a media man's dream. I mean, you know, the, the, the list of sayings. I mean, people still call John Aldridge the gunslinger now, mm. you know, when they see him in the street. And, uh, and of course, you know, that's just one of many from, from Johnny. And, you know, and they weren't. You know, John. You, know, you see some of the modern day managers, and it's you know it's clearly something that people have thought about. It's contrived. You know, it, that wasn't the case with Johnny. Uh, that was his personality. You know, coming over and you know off the wall, if you like, and it was just so natural. And obviously, in terms of in terms of broadcasting on Radio City, it, it was it was great radio, and it was, and it was all, all the Tranmere fans used to talk about. And, and, and still do now, you know, his ships on choppy waters, etc., yes. etc. We, we, well, we've heard a few this morning, and uh, uh, Nick was recounting that as well as calling Aldo the gunslinger, he once called him El Cid down at he Watford. Did. Yeah. Now you've got, I know you've got a fund of stories. There's one. <laughs> there's one about Ian Thomas Moore and Johnny and a dog. Well, I mean, there are, there are so many. I'd like to tell the strawberries one with Ian Nolan in a minute as well. Oh, right, yeah, sure, please do. Which will make sure we'll laugh as well. But, yeah, the, down at Valley Parade one day, Ian, Ian Moore had sort of... Valley you know, Road, went, I think it was, wasn't it? Valley Road, uh, yeah. Valley Road yeah. yeah. And uh, he he burst onto the scene, Ian, and, and scored these goals. And, um, you know, as a teenage striker, he'd actually been called up at the time to train with the Full England squad ahead of Euro 96. Yeah. And then... You know, he, as, all, as all kids do, he'd gone on a bit of a barren spell and he came out of Johnny King's office sort of shaking his head and, you know, sort of wry smiling and walked down the corridor and I was sort of next in. Yeah. And you'll go down and you have your cup of tea and, and, and John King just said, he had, John King's great love was a dog called Prince, Golden Labrador called Prince, who he used to walk every day and, and basically used to tell you about every day as well. <laughs> you know, he, he was his love Prince. I yeah, think he used to tell the players as well. And he just said to me, I've just had a chat with Morsey. I've got to get him back on the goal scoring run, he said. And I've told him, you know, to be more like Prince. <laughs> so I said, there he's on. Hence why Ian Moore was probably coming out of the office looking a little bemused. He said, I take Prince for a walk, he said, over the common. And Prince 
sniffs out those rabbits. He goes down the burrows and he sniffs out the rabbits. And he said, I just told Morsey, I want him sniffing those rabbits in the penalty box. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful, isn't it? That is great. What lovely, colourful expressions he had, Steve. Unbelievable, and, and I always remember the day where you know that he was very frustrated. He, he took a great deal of pride in developing players, but he, he allowed them to go on to bigger and better things. But he, he got frustrated, you know, when Jeb Brannan moved to Manchester City and Tony Thomas went to Everton, and he discovered Ian Nolan, you know, yeah. um, who was an ex-mechanic on the Wirral and, and, and playing for Marine, and, and Trevor Francis was the manager of Sheffield Wednesday at the time, who. John got on very well with and he pushed him to £2 million and we were doing an interview about Ian Nolan leaving Samir and signing for, for Sheffield Wednesday and again before the tape recorder started he said you know if you've got an allotment and you, you plant strawberries Stevie and I said yes John and he said you know when you, you water them and you hope the sun comes out I said yes and he said and they go a little bit riper and you go to pick them when they're not quite right I said yes he said well Ian Nolan's redder than anything now he said and Sheffield Wednesday have just come to my strawberry field and popped. <laughs> They've picked another strawberry. Said, but I've got two million for him. This right. strawberry. <laughs> they are lovely, lovely stories, Steve, aren't they? I mean, that's missing from the game today, isn't it? That sort of management speak, isn't it? Oh, totally. I mean, you know, I mean, that's that, like I say when I when when I look back now and. What did you say it was, 1995? Yes, March 95. Um, I mean, if you said to me in 95, you know, you'd be doing this and dealing with managers like we are now at the highest level in, in, in the Premier League and, you know, just getting them to answer a question somehow is, uh, is yeah. difficult and frustrating at times. But, no, those anecdotes were, were just brilliant. And like I say, I can't stress enough, I mean, Nick will know as well, they, they weren't contrived. They weren't, you know, I'll wake up this, this morning and say this. That was just Johnny. That was just his personality and... Yeah. Um, you know, it's just you know we could we could uh, talk all we could do a we could do a whole day on Radio City City talk about his stories, but so those those are the few that you know spring to mind for me. Well, Steve, it's great to hear you, and thank you very much for coming on and sharing those with us, and thanks for doing originally the ten green bottles as well. Ten green bottles, man! What a way to be remembered. Thanks. <laughs> Steve, thanks a million. No problem, John. All the best. Cheers. That was Steve Bauer, uh, now a Match of the Day commentator, of course, talking about those great stories um, about uh, that Johnny used to come out with. I suppose it's fitting that King would have a prince, isn't it, really? He was very attached uh, yeah. to that dog, wasn't was he? Was he? I, I didn't yeah. know about it, Prince. It, it was unbelievable, Prince. Prince Prince could pick the team. Prince, <laughs> uh, honestly, used to, uh, the gaffer used to live by Arrow Park and, he, and he'd walk the dog through yeah. Arrow Park and sometimes if he was a bit undecided yeah. with the team, the story is that he'd mark either side of the of the log or the twig that he threw for Prince and which that, that would have an indication of who he was going to play. Um, he once took me down to Harrison Drive. I'd, I'd, I'd uh, gone over on my ankle and it was yeah. a massive big balloon and what um, he used to say, if it works for dogs sort of, you know, swimming in the sea and it'd work to get players fit and he made me go and go into the sea and fetch a stick and bring it back to him. <laughs> Not fetch a stick. Fetch a stick. So, and the idea was to keep me in the cold water, which yeah. was sort of similar to what they do with an ice compression today. Oh, right, yeah. And that so was his, ahead of his time. That was his thoughts behind yeah. it. But yeah. standing at Addison Drive in October with a pair of shorts on, Ankle deep in the maze is not good for me. So it isn't. no, it's not. No, no. But I mean, clearly the way people talk about him, he was—they're um, going to be talking about him in so many years' time, aren't they, Nick Hilton? They are. They are. Um, 
just picking up on something that Sean said earlier about about how happy that dressing room was. I remember talking to Tony Thomas, who's mm. very much from Sean's generation, who mm. came up through the ranks Indeed, there. Yeah. And he, he said to me recently, he said, that was a once-in-a-career dressing room. Mm. That's a good phrase, isn't it? And uh, I think that's I think that sums phrase. up sums up the way yeah, he was. He, yeah. he was. A, I think Sean would know this better than me. But he was a dressing room builder. Yeah, and, and very much so. And what he he his. Do you know what we talk about player profiling today? It, it was never it was never heard of then. Sort of in the late eighties, early nineties. But what the gaffer done was bring in players that was that would buy into what he wanted and, and players that would enhance the dressing room because it was the dressing room was the most important thing. Yes. You know, that he would say that's worth a winner season. Um, and, and I agree, Nick, it was it was players that he brought in, your characters of Higgy, uh, Eddie Bishop, um, Neko, Jim Steele, Jim Harvey, Neil McNabb. These were all massive characters in the change room. Later on, Aldo, Liam O'Brien, yeah. even Pat. Pat was a quiet lad. But he still had something to offer in the changing room. So, mm. and then on top of that, you had your, your Kenny Hines, which we all know Kenny's a character. Um, Jed Brannan, Tony Thomas. You know, there were strong characters. They were, they were they, strong sure. characters, yeah, and we stuck right. together. We went out mm. together. Mm. You know, and I know the cultures have changed now, but you know, we had a, you know this. We went out as a team. We played as a team. We went out as a team. Um, and Kingy was a big believer in that as well. Yeah, yeah. And what's made it? What made the rise of Tramir even more remarkable, Nick, in those years was he came back for his second spell and they were perilously close to going out of the league, of course, weren't they? And we'll never forget the Exeter game in April 1987 when their future depended on it. And uh, Yes, and Gary Williams scored one of the most famous and important goals in the club's history. Ian Muir Cross. Ian Muir Cross yeah. and, uh, and Gary Williams, who, who still lives locally. Does he? Still, still lives mm. and works locally, yes. Yeah. Uh, great character. Yeah. Um, uh, and that was, I suppose, like the launch pad. Yeah. From, uh, from, from then on, it was a steady, steady climb upwards. Yeah. And as the years went on, Kingy was able to bring in new players. Yeah. Probably better players than those that yeah. had gone before. So all the time, the team was advancing and the club was advancing as well off the field because the club mm. then was very well run. It, yeah. Peter mm. Johnson had come in and the stadium was attended to, mm. wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and Prenton Park became an all-seater stadium yes. during that spell. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Uh, I think what he done, Nick, is he bought um, a team to get out that division. Mm. So in the in, in the fourth division, as it was then. Big Jim Steele, Jim Harvey, oh, yes. Nico. He, yes. he, he went out about his, uh, the spine of the team. He always got the, is it the Maypole. Yeah. Because and he'd been around, that goes off he'd been down, he'd been in non-league and done well. Mm. So he knew football. Yeah. He was a football man, wasn't yeah, he? definitely. You know, he knew what uh, he knew what was required for various situations. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's that man management trick. He'd, he'd use that at uh, places like Nor uh, Northwich and, yeah. and Carnarvon Town. To get to get part timers to come and play for him at at Carnarvon, he would he, he would get players who could give other players lifts just to mm. just to get that one that he wanted, who hadn't got a car. Really, would he do that? That's, yeah. that's what he would do. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he was get, clever. Yeah. He was very very. He was clever, yeah, and and he, and you know he, he kept the players together. I spoke before about our end of season trips, and we were renowned for for going to Magaluf as oh, it yeah. was then. Um, but it was good because he sat there and he, he sat on his chair at the table and we, me, all the players would be in front of him and there'd be Ronnie, Kenny Jones, um, would all be there and we never left each other. It was good and it, this was John King's players and the pride he had in sitting yes. with the players. Yeah. But um, but enough for me filtered through. You know they were good good lads. He had he had good lads, but he let the players organise it. He let the yeah. players manage it. 
um, and results-based. And the thing was, uh, he could deal with players of all different standards. I mean, he, 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 brought, he knew how to deal with players in non-league, but he also brought in players like, as you said, Aldo, Pat mm. Nevin, Gary Stevens, mm. and these were international players and uh, well, very, very high-standard players, mm. and he, he could deal with them. It was very interesting because uh, there were players like Dave Higgins who'd come up from non-league uh, at the start of a journey and, and just raised his game so that by the end he was very comfortable in a team with internationals. Yes. Uh, and that, so Johnny, Johnny got the best out of players doing that as well yeah. by advancing them, if you like, yeah. testing them. Yeah. And, and they passed the test. It's just made me laugh. I mean, you know, we talk about the the modern day and how managers are and they're so strict and the sports science side of it. And, I, and I'm, I'm I'm buying into that and I agree with it. We were playing West Brom away, um, and like I say, the gaffer was great in letting us do what we wanted to do, long as we performed. Anyway, this day we won three two at West Brom, really good performance. But in the pre match, we got a little bit bored. Um, and, and we're waiting around the hotel, nothing to do. So we ended up tying Mungi to a chair. Steve Mungo. Steve Mungo to a chair and pressing every every floor in the hotel. And, and the gaffer, he just went, "Aye, that's the boys." And and that was that was his, that was all he said. Yes. But but we we'd go and win the game. That was just the the boys we had. So there. you could say it was an uplifting experience. Um, definitely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, great stories. I'm talking to Sean Garnett and Nick Hilton about the great Johnny King. We'll be talking more after the break and hearing another lovely clip from Johnny. Don't go away. This is Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. Hello, I'm John Keith and welcome back to Strictly John Keith on City Talk 105.9. My studio guests, Sean Garnett and Nick Hilton, and we're talking about the great Johnny King, who's soon to have a statue of himself unveiled and it's going to be superb. We've seen pictures of it, and it's been crafted by that master sculptor, Tom Murphy, of course, has done Dixie Dean, Bill Shankly, John Lennon, the Moores Brothers, among others, Ken Dodd as well. Um, now, we talked earlier about, uh, about John and his wonderful, um, his wonderful asides, gents, didn't we? Well, the uh, pre-season when they signed Gary Bennett from Wrexham, uh, John was uh, waxing lyrical about how he wanted the partnership with John Aldridge to flourish. So here he is um, giving his views on that particular subject. Nice to see Aldridge looking sharp there, you know, and you've heard me say before about Aldridge, so many, so many sayings, and now, of course, I want him to, to turn into Peter Pan. You know, I think Peter Pan, if he got the costume on, and, you know, he's a boy again, and he has that, uh, that, that you know, ear-to-ear -ear smile... Uh, and he'll only get that by keeping away from injury. And if he keeps away from injury, injury he, he will play for his country. Well, there we are. That was uh, Johnny John about John Aldridge, and that that was a that was one of many terrific signings he made, Nick, wasn't it? Because I remember about a year later, Howard Kendall admitted to me that he was sniffing around bringing Aldo back from Real Sociedad. And he said he made a mistake, he should have done it, because he was worried Aldo wouldn't be able to do it at top level, but he said he clearly could have done. And uh, he certainly did it for Tranmere, didn't he? There was quite a number of uh, Premier League managers were uh, kicking themselves for not trying to get John Aldridge when they saw what, uh, what he did at uh, Tranmere for Johnny King. Um, Johnny used to say that he would uh, regularly get a call about once a week from Ron Atkinson mm. at Aston Villa, uh, offering him £1 million for Aldridge, yes. and he said, I'm able to turn it down every time he rings up. 
because that's the beauty of having a chairman like Peter Johnson. Yeah. Uh, I can keep my best players here. Yeah. So I always say, very nice of you to offer Ron, but no thanks, we're keeping him. Yes, exactly. And Sean, I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were an apprentice at the time of the Exeter game in 1987. Yeah. You were yeah. there on the Yeah, night I was night. there, that's right, but yeah. To, but to see it go from there, to bring in players like Aldo and mm. Nevin and oh. Gary C, must have been great for you. The, the journey for... risen with the club, yeah, you? The journey for me is, is, has been brilliant. Uh, 1984 assigned as a schoolboy, 1986 assigned as an apprentice, um, was an apprentice under Frank Werdenson, which was an unbelievable experience, but we didn't have kits, we didn't have footballs. Wow. Uh, Frank went, John King come in, um, and that's when the journey started really, and, but the most important thing, yeah. having such a Peter come in as well, yes. was that we had to stay in the league, and I always remember the game, I can remember Gary scoring, but from that season on, th there was never any negativity around the club no. then. You know, I have to sort of take my hat off to Peter Johnson because he put his money into the club and that was a, a massive help. But we also had a manager who was able to identify players and bring in players that would get us promotion from, from, from the particular league we're in. Yeah. But it, it's been a it's been really good, really, really great journey for me. And, and you know, when I left the club as I did in 96, um, it was probably in terms of a, a career move, but in terms of, you know, the club identity with the club. Tommy Rovers has always been that club because, you know, it's I've started with it and sort of finished with it in a way. Yes, exactly. And in your job now, head of youth, I mean, that's a critical role for a club like Tranmere, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, the gaffer and how how important he was to the club. Uh, what a crimmer for me, played a similar role and what a crimmer was my mentor in that. Uh, when I, when I, I was Warwick's first apprentice, um, and now I'm sort of the head what of youth. What a great man he was! Unbelievable, and I, and I and I try to you know we talk about John King today, and and that, and you know he is a really great character, and and so is Warwick to me. But it's mm -hmm. that taking over the youth at Tramie Rover is really important because it's the identity to the club. Yeah. We have produced you know seven million seven million pounds worth of players. Um, whether we do in future, I don't know if the game will allow that now. But very important to Tramie Rovers. Yes, exactly. And and as a player. Um, the effect of Aldridge, Nevin, Stevens, etc., was uh, was terrific, wasn't it? The impact they made. It was, and you know, you know, because we were just sort of normal, normal lads who've cut, who've done well and come through the ranks, and then to suddenly have Gary Stevens appear. Uh, then, then Pat Nevin appeared, and and Neil McNabb and John Aldridge. Yeah, you know, yeah. one minute we're watching them on telly playing for Real Sociedad, the next minute we're playing at Heswell with him in a pre-season friendly <laughs> when he misses a penalty. A so you know, he actually yeah. uh, missed a penalty yeah. in that game. If you remember <laughs> it, did he really? He did. Yes, yeah, the only other penalty other than, then, than Wimbledon. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, they, they were great. They were great memories when we started to bring players in. Who you're thinking, wow, this club's going places here. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know the. The playoffs in terms of moving from to Premiership just didn't happen for us. No. Um, I mean, I think a couple of sorts of the Swindon game was a bit of bad luck. Um, These are the playoffs. The playoff yeah, games, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Leicester one, I thought we should have done better. Uh, and the Reading one, we had an off day at home mm -hmm. and could never pull the scoreline back, could we? But they were, they, were, they were really good times. I know it's hypothetical, but had they got to the Premier League, could they have sustained the place there? I mean... I, I wouldn't put anything past the gaffer. No. You know, no. I, I think he would have found a way, the system, uh, found a system that would have sort of stopped us conceding goals, found a system that would have mm. enabled us to score goals. And, and I think we'd have had a, you know, if you talk about going back to, to the gaffer with his journeys, I think we'd have had a, one hell of a journey in, in the Premier League. Yeah. 
And Nick, you you go along with that. Yes, and he was very confident of of his ability to um, of, of his ability to do very difficult jobs. I remember after Tramley had lost the nineteen ninety five League Cup semi final to Aston Villa in the second yeah. Ah, yeah. And the second leg. Uh, he was very disappointed. Uh, it, had been, it had been a thrilling match uh, yeah. over two legs, it, and it yes, had gone down to a penalty there, shootout. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but he'd said, "I was really disappointed we didn't get through because I really fancied us to beat Manchester United in the final. I'd worked out how we were going to do it." <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, as you say, maybe he'd done it right the way through from non-league all the way through. Mm. He'd he'd, um, he'd cut his cloth according to the situation, so he might well have done it in the Premier League and mm. they got there mm. it's a it's a pity we'll never know really because mm. I doubt I mean I'm not wishing uh, anything bad again but I doubt we'll ever be, they'll be that close again will they or will they I, I think it's going to be hard for us mm. you know the way the money is in the game now and the way the money is in the Premier League yes. and there's a bit of a gap between the Premier League and the Football League uh, I think it's always going to be hard now. And a yes. lot of clubs in in the second tier have got a lot of money now, haven't they? Yeah. They've been up well, down. you know, we, we've we've got people sort of in the second division with a bigger budget than we've got, and we're in yeah. the first division, and and you yeah. know to bridge that gap in order to challenge for the Premiership, yeah. I, I can't see it, me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But but anyway, at the moment, Sean, your um, <clears throat> your um, your production line is, is coming along, is it? From, for you yeah, players? we've got one or two. Um, you know, at the moment, or the last home game, we had seven, seven of the 18 where I'd come through the academy. So that's, that's with, fantastic. So with Jason, Jeno, um, Jake, Ash, Cole, Max. Uh, so it, 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 was really, it was really good in the way that was, you know, in terms of productivity, the yeah. club are doing really well, and yeah. that's something we need to do because Indeed. we can't go and buy an old exactly. now. No, we can't no, buy we can't do that a pass. You know, no. Sean Teal for half a million. Those days, Sean Teal, those, yeah. those days have gone now. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, we're talking about uh, we were talking about great players there with Aldo and Nevin, etc. Uh, on Friday, April the twenty fifth, I'll have two of them on stage with me at New Brighton Floral Pavilion. Kevin Ratcliffe and Neville Southall for an audience with Everton legends. It's going to be a night of great stories and strong opinions. You can guarantee that with Neville about. And the two goodies and greats will also take questions from the audience. Make sure you're a part of it. Tickets £12 available in person from the Floral Pavilion box office or by calling 0151 6 0000 or online www.floralpavilion.com. And for Liverpool fans, there's a long-range date for your diary, Friday, September the 12th, when the curtain goes up on a brand-new show titled Bob Paisley, Reluctant Genius, to mark the 40th anniversary of Bob having to be persuaded to succeed Bill Shankly, and then winning 19 trophies in nine seasons. To tell his remarkable story, I'll be joined on stage at New Brighton Floral Pavilion by four of Bob's players, Phil Neal, Alan Kennedy, Jimmy Case and Ian Callaghan. You can reserve your tickets now, £15 with £12 concessions, plus a £1 booking fee. Just call 0151 treble six double zero double zero or go online at www.floralpavilion.com. Um, we're talking about Shanks earlier, gents. Uh, being football people as you are, um, the job that Paisley did following Shankly was just staggering, Nick, wasn't it? Uh, and you were there because you were reporting at the time, Liverpool. For me, it, ma- it made him the uh, the greatest manager that uh, of the. Uh of the 20th century uh, because mm. he was um, uh, he hadn't he'd been reluctant to do it he had to be persuaded to do it um, but he had all the knowledge he had all the ability yeah. 
I suppose a question of getting the the confidence uh, to go out and use it in the way he yeah. did. And to be a front man instead yes, of a back room man. Yes, uh, and yeah. uh, whenever I've spoken to some of the players who were involved at that time, that they are absolutely in awe of the man's football brain, yes. his understanding of the game, yeah. how to win football matches, how to spot players, how to spot the opposition's weaknesses, yeah. speak to people like Graham Souness, and they... They bow down. They oh, say they this do. is this is this is the man who was the true genius. Yes, exactly. And Sean, you probably never met Bob, did you? Or did you? No, 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 I didn't. You know, and you, you sort of in the history of what Liverpool have. You, you, yeah. He was such an important person yeah. in terms of their history. Yeah. Uh, and these people, you know, Bob Paisley, Bill Shankly, John King, you know, Howard Kendall, with the success he had at Everton. Yeah. You know, these, these people. Uh, they don't. They don't come along very often. No, I was going to uh, say that. And the fact that you played a new Johnny King, what a great, invaluable mm, thing for yeah. you as a coach. I mean, brilliant. I mean, some of the things you know, uh, you pick up. I mean, you pick up of all the coaches you've, or the old managers you've played under. Um, and I, I'm using some of the material. Let's just call it. That I got off John King in 1980 uh, and, and early 90s yeah, yeah. with boys today, and you can relate to it because what what John King was was a football man. And, yes. and whatever year you play football, yeah. the game doesn't change. It's eleven exactly. v eleven. It's timeless, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it's eleven v eleven. It's played. Yeah. You know, it's play, I was going to say it's played on grass, but we do play on four G services now, yes, so it's slightly oh, yeah, yeah. slightly changed. Yeah. But these people, you know, you, you put Bob Paisley today, you put you know John King today, you, you, they'll still be successful. Well, they, they, well, they they would be such a today such a breath of breath of fresh air because. A lot of the stuff managers come out with is quite bland mm. today, isn't it? Mm. And, and as our producer, Carlos Woodward, was saying off-air earlier, it's almost predictable at times, whereas they were never predictable. Johnny King, you didn't know what he was going to say no. next, did you? No, and you didn't, you know, it, it was one of them. And as a player, you didn't, you know, I, I was talking about stories before. I, I John King had left me out and I wasn't too happy and had knocked on his door. And, and the reason he gave me was that I look a little bit jaded, I look a little bit tired. Right, which I thought was fine, but again, somehow it, I ended up playing for the for the B t the A team on the Saturday morning, but I was too tired to play for the first team Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so, but, but the way he worked, it was yes. great. Never mind the logic. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but he, you know, in other yeah. words, you know, he's changing the team. Yes. But, but, but the, you know, and I was yeah. tired, and I agreed with yes. that. But then I walk away from his office, arranging to meet Warwick at the Oval at 10 o'clock on the Saturday to play for the A-team. Yeah. <laughs> I used to scratch my head a little bit. Yeah. He, he once said to me that, um, uh, talking about the great Shankly, he <clears> said one of, the, one of Shankly's sayings was, a man who can't make a decision is a nightmare. And Johnny said that was one of the greatest things anyone ever said to me in mm. football because you've got to be able to make and take decisions. Mm. Nick, and that's right, isn't it? That's absolutely true. One of the other uh, qualities that Johnny had, and I think this show might bear this out, is he, he had time for people. Mm. Very Which true. And, and, and today's yeah. managers, they really don't have time for... It doesn't appear that they've got time for anybody. Mm. But Johnny had time for people. Uh, before he even started his first spell at Tranmere, he was the, the reserve team coach in the, early, in the early 70s. And I was a fledgling reporter whose job was... First job in football was to report Tranmere over his reserves home and away. Right. And on those trips to Northwich or mm. in, in the Northern Floodlit yeah. League... On the way back, Johnny would sit next to me and explain the workings of professional football wow. to a 20-year-old rookie. And that was oh, absolutely priceless. Mm. And that's I owe him so much, personally, yes. for what he did. On the same level, um, two or three years later, there was a couple of guys came over from Sweden who were, they were football fans. And they were trying to see as many football clubs as they could. And they turned up at Prenton Park. 
and they bumped into Johnny King, got talking to Johnny King, told him what they were about, that they were trying to see as many English football mm. clubs as they wanted. Johnny took them as guests to the training ground, got them tickets for the match. Those guys come back to see Tranmere six or seven times a wow, year. They get flights it? from Malmo in wow, Sweden. isn't that great? And, and, and that's because of Johnny King, because he gave them time. Well, I tell you what, we couldn't finish on a better note than that to pay tribute to Johnny King of Tranmere. My great thanks to Sean Garner and to Nick Hilton and also to Steve Bauer who joined us on the line. So from them and from me, John Keith, from this edition of Strictly John Keith, goodbye. Strictly John Keith. City Talk 105.9.